Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and you don't need to fear. You have hope. And that's going to be the conclusion to your thinking by the end of this hour. My guest is Jeff Redorn. We're going to talk about the feasts of Israel with the New Testament fulfillment and why we can have this powerful hope that we're going to talk about this hour. I'm always glad to have Jeff on the show. He's a Bible teacher, a friend, and mentor of mine. And every time he comes on, I learn a ton. Jeff, welcome. Good afternoon, Bill. Thanks. So as we talk about the Feasts of Israel, I think for a lot of people, they're scratching the head right now going, what, what is that? Well, yeah, that's way back in Leviticus. And it's like, well, how does that pertain to us? Well, we're going to look today at how Jesus fulfills prophetically, symbolically, each of the seven Feasts of Israel. So that's, uh, that's how it relates to us today. Yeah. And Jeff, fair to say that a lot of people, if they're reading their Bible through in a year, they hit Leviticus and they stall out a little bit. <laughs> it's, I remember the first time that I made it through the law of Moses. So we have Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy, all these different laws about, uh, oh, dietary laws and clothing laws and sanitary laws and, you know, days of the weeks and feasts and sacrifices <laughs> and on and on and on. And I get done and it's like, oh, my goodness, thank God that I live in the age of grace and not mm-hmm. under the law. Because actually yeah. God describes and Paul describes it as a, a heavy yoke. Uh, and remember, the law never made anyone righteous. Righteousness comes through faith. Now that faith has come, the law has been set aside. Paul says we're no longer under the law. And in fact, in Romans 8 verse 4, he says, the righteous requirements of the law have been fully met in us who are in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And thank God that he gives us hope and that the grace that we have from him uh, fills our heart and helps us, despite whatever circumstances people are feeling today, that they will leave this hour feeling more hopeful. So I'm looking forward to this. Well, that's because we're going to divide the feast into two categories, those that have already been fulfilled and those that are yet to be fulfilled. And after we get through this and see the fulfillment of, of both in the first coming and the second coming. Uh, hopefully we've got some time to spend a little bit more on this second coming, on this time when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be where I am also. All right. I love our theme of hope this hour, Jeff. Let's get to the Feast of Israel, and let's start with the ones that are fulfilled in Christ. So Leviticus 23 is a really good summary or overview of these seven feasts that God gave to Israel. And each of these feasts, by the way, were to be uh, were to be celebrated or observed every single year, a lasting ordinance that generation after generation after generation should be followed. And the first one that's listed, well, actually the first one in Leviticus 23 is the Sabbath. And that's, remember in, in Exodus 20, where God gives the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So that's actually the first kind of weekly uh, 
observance that Israel was to observe. But then Leviticus 23 gets into these seven feasts, these seven annual feasts. The first one is the Passover. Now, most Christians remember the story of the very first Passover. In Exodus chapter 12, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, and God brought Moses to set the people free. He sent plagues, and the final plague was the angel of death that was to come to kill every firstborn in the land of Egypt. But God instructed the Israelites to kill a lamb, to select a lamb without spot or blemish, and to take some of the blood and place it on your doorpost and above your door. And that way the death angel, as it came through Egypt, would know that he was to pass over that house and not kill the firstborn because they were protected by the blood of the lamb. Well, that symbolic Passover, our actual Passover, was to be observed. So Leviticus 23 says... These are the Lord's appointed feasts, sacred assemblies to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day, they were then to observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It then goes into the to the specifications that you are to take a, a lamb year old without spot or blemish, sacrifice it, uh, and and so on. So I don't. We don't need to get into the full details of the sacrifice, but that's where the Passover started. The next feast, then, which was then the next day, was the feast of unleavened bread, and it was for seven days. You must eat bread without yeast. So Leviticus twenty three six through eight describes this next feast, which would be the next day. And by the way, yeast was always a symbol. Uh, of sin. So it's really a purging of all yeast, a purging of all sin uh, out of out of the way. That's why they ate this unleavened bread at the first exodus, if you remember the first Passover in the exodus. The next observance, according to Leviticus 23, is that of first fruits. So it says that you are to bring to the priest a sheaf of grain from the harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord, and uh, this wave offering was called first fruits. Well, this first fruits feast was after during the week of the Passover week, after the Sabbath on the first day of the week. So that would be Sunday. It would always be Sunday. So after the Sabbath day of the week of the Passover, you are to celebrate the feast of first fruits. And then at after 50 days after first fruits, Leviticus 23 says, count off uh, these days, 50 days after the day of first fruits, and you are to celebrate what was called the Feast of Weeks or what is known as Pentecost. And it was a wave offering. You took two loaves of leavened bread and uh, and you celebrated this Feast of Weeks 50 days later. And these were the first four feasts of Israel. They were celebrated in the spring. It says, for example, on the Passover, on the first month of Israel, which is the month of Nisan, which is really our April, which is Israel's first month, they would start celebrating the Feast of Passover and these four feasts in the spring. And then there was this interlude, this, this period of summer in which there was no feast until you get to the seventh month of Israel's calendar, which would be late September, early October-ish on our calendar. 
And in Leviticus 23, verse 23, it says that Israel was to celebrate the Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah. This was celebrated on the seventh month on the first day. And a trumpet would be blown, uh, that shofar, that trumpet of Israel would be sounded, and they were to have a sacred assembly. Uh, And after that, on the seventh day, on the tenth month, the next feast was the Day of Atonement. Now, this is one of the ones that a lot of Christians probably remember, especially from places like Hebrews that describe the Old Testament sacrifices and so on. The Day of Atonement was once a year, the high priest would take a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. He would enter into the temple. There was all these instructions on how he was to do this. But he'd do the sacrifice outside. He'd go into the holy place. He'd cleanse himself. And then he'd enter behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies. And that is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that's where the very presence of God was. So only the high priest, only once a year, and only on the Day of Atonement would the priest enter into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood from the sacrifice onto the top of the Ark of the Covenant, which was called the Mercy Seat. And that was the holiest day in Israel's calendar, the Day of Atonement. After that, a few days later, actually it's five days later, was the Feast of Tabernacles, which is basically a harvest celebration, uh, a memorial of the tabernacles as well in the wilderness where God tabernacled with his people. All right, so there is an overview of the of the seven feasts of Israel that they would have been doing ever since the Exodus around 15, 1450 years before Christ, that the instructions were then given to Moses on Mount Sinai, and every year after that, uh, Israel would have celebrated, celebrated these feasts, the first four in the spring and the last three in the fall. So, Jeff, when we look at these feasts and we look at the spring feasts, these all take place within 50 days. Looks like the first three are sort of stacked together pretty closely. Mm-hmm. And then there's 50 days after for the uh, Pentecost or Feast of Weeks. So just for review before we go to break, we start with the Passover And then the next day is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the purging of all leaven as a symbol of sin. And then the next uh, fruit is the first fruits, where they the wave offering of sheath. Mm -hmm. And then the next would be 50 days later, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Mm -hmm. And then there's the break until fall. Then there's the Feast of Trumpets, where the trumpet is blown for the sacred assembly. Then there is the Day of Atonement, which is like you said, that's the one I think we all know about that day where the high priest enters the Holy of Holies uh, for the sacrifice of the sins of Israel. And then the Feast of Tabernacle follows. And it seems like that happens all in about 15 days, the fall feast. Is that right? It is. And those are all cool, and it's kind of historical, and it's a little bit of Israel's history. But when we come back, we're going to see how Jesus fulfills each of these feasts. Okay, I, I can hardly wait. Jeff Verdorn is my guest. We're talking about the Feasts of Israel. We'll be right back with lots more. The ways they keep on telling me time and time again, boy, 
Jeff Verdorn, and I'm very glad that he's my friend. We're talking about the Feast of Israel today, and we've gone through the Spring Feast and the Fall Feast. Now we're going to talk about how these feasts were fulfilled in Christ. So today I want you just to know that you do not need to fear. You have hope, and the hope will be more and more clear as we go through these fulfillments and we get to uh, the end of this hour. So Jeff, let's Mm -hmm. talk about how these were fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament. Well, so we talked about that Israel were slaves in Egypt, and then the Passover came and the Exodus came. Well, we are slaves to sin when Jesus came and died on the cross. Now, 1 Corinthians uh, 5 verse 7 actually says that Christ is our Passover lamb that has been sacrificed. Well, the imagery right there brings Christ right Back to the Passover. So every single Jew would have been celebrating this Passover for 1,500 years, would have recognized and understood exactly what that meant. In fact, when John the Baptist first saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, there's the Passover lamb right there. And Paul calls him our Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians 5. So Christ as the lamb at Passover was sacrificed. Now, just an aside, if you recall at Easter this year, and we've done it the last three years, the timing of Jesus dying on the cross, that Passover in what I believe is 32 AD, was late in the afternoon, the New Testament says in the ninth hour. Well, on on Nisan the 14th, the month of the Jewish calendar, Nisan, on the 14th day, Why is that significant? Because that's the exact time that all of Israel for Passover that year was sacrificing their lambs for the Passover meal. So as Israel is sacrificing their sins, Jesus, as the Lamb of God, as our Passover lamb, is dying for the sins of the world on the cross at the exact same time. What that, happens? That, of course, is a big goosebump moment, and there will be people that will have a different perspective on what you just said, and I guess that's okay. That That is. It's just, it's a powerful imagery that, just think about this. God knew the timing of his son coming and his death and burial and resurrection, as we will see, and 1,500 years prior to that, he gives Israel instructions for these feasts that are just going to so happen match Christ, the events of Christ's life and death and resurrection. I mean, that's just amazing to me. It's spectacular is what it is. It just makes me want to jump up and down. It does. So, and remember what happens in this moment. Christ dies on the cross. The curtain is torn inside the temple that, uh, as, uh, that was protecting the Holy of Holies, and that curtain is torn. It's torn away from top to bottom, and most theologians believe that that happened because it's basically saying, okay, you know all this feast and festival and sacrifice, sacrificial stuff and all this law stuff? That's all gone. I'm now entering in a new way, a new covenant that is in my body that is broken for you, 
and uh, he now offers salvation through faith in him. And, uh, and that's uh, so symbolic that all these feasts and festivals of the Old Testament have now been put aside, and we then have a new way. But Jesus isn't finished. We have to look at the rest of the three spring feasts and how he fulfills that. So the next one, if you recall, was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That was sin, this purging or getting rid of all leaven. Well, Romans 6 actually says, Paul says, the death he died, he died for sin once for all. So this sin or this purging or taking away of sin is what was accomplished on the cross. So in his burial, that death, I'm sorry, that sin is being removed. It's being atoned for on the cross. It's being purged and I think symbolically fulfilling the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then, of course, First Fruits is next. It's always on the Sunday of Passover week. And what happened that Sunday after the crucifixion? Well, Christ has been raised. Death could not hold him. The grave could not contain him. He rose again. And 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 says, as our first fruits, the first fruits. Well, if there's first there's going to be more. Jesus was the first to be resurrected to glory. In fact, to date, the only one to be resurrected to glory. But he's the first, the first fruits. And it happened on the Feast of First Fruits. But if he's first, there's more. Well, Scripture promises that for every believer in Christ, we also will receive a glorified body just like Christ. We will appear with him in glory. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That is what happens at on Resurrection Day. That's the rapture. That's coming up in the future. We'll get to that in a second. All right. Next, so the next feast is, do we still have time? For, yeah, we still have a couple minutes. Oh, yeah. Here. yeah. The next feast is Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. Well, that was 50 days after Well, what event in the New Testament happened 50 days after Jesus rose from the gate? And it was Pentecost. So if you recall the account in the Gospels, Jesus was raised on Sunday. He walked on earth for 40 days. In Acts chapter 1, he rises up to heaven and is hid by the clouds, and all of his disciples from the Mount of Olives see him go up into heaven. And the angels come, and they say, Men of Galilee, this Jesus that you saw leave is going to come back the same way you saw him leave. In fact, he's going to come back to the very spot that he left the Mount of Olives, which is right across the Kidron Valley from the Temple Mount area. And so he departs the earth after 40 days. But remember what he said in Acts chapter 1. He says to them, it says, stay in Jerusalem because something special is going to happen in a very short period of time. I am going to send you another, another counselor, this Holy Spirit who will indwell you and give you power, and he will be with you forever. And 10 days later, while the disciples were in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon all the believers and begins what we now understand is the church age, the spirit-filled believer who's been transformed, given new birth, is a new creation in Christ, and has the spirit of the living God dwelling 
within us. That's the church age, and that started on Pentecost, the fourth, uh, the forced, the fourth feast of on Israel's calendar. Yeah, it's not super easy to say, is it? <laughs> I struggled with it a little the, bit. The fourth feast—that's not easy. Fourth feast. That I'm just curious now how people's you know hope temperature is. It's rising, isn't it? Because this is you have no need to fear because you have hope. And I look at this, uh, Jeff, and I find it to be so exciting to see the correlation between. Uh, the, the the spring feasts and the, how they were fulfilled in Christ. It's just so powerful. You know, when you look at the prophecies for Jesus's first coming, there are many direct prophecies. In fact, I believe there's about 90 direct prophecies for the first coming of Christ, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he'd be born of a virgin, that he'd be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David, that he'd have a ministry in Galilee, that he'd be called a Nazarene, that he would speak in parables, he'd have a ministry of healing and perform miracles, he would he would teach in parables, he would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, he'd be pierced for our transgressions, and yet, and not a bone would be broken, and uh, yet the, his God's Holy One would not see decay in the grave. And all of these prophecies in the Old Testament, written hundreds of years before Jesus came, were all fulfilled completely in Jesus' life and, and death and burial and resurrection. And so you have this picture where God has been telling us that this Messiah was coming. He comes and he fulfills all these prophecies. What we are talking about is kind of these indirect prophecies or prophecies and types that are spelled out in these feasts that also point to him. They're not direct prophecies like Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but just as powerfully they point to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because God is provably batting a thousand when it comes to telling the future, we now are going to, I guess after the break, come back to the future feast and what God has told us is going to happen for his bride, the church. And that's where we turn to next. That will be great. And I want you to know that uh, in the podcast tonight at myfaithradio.com, this chart that Jeff put together will be available in the podcast if you want to see how beautifully he laid it out with the uh, spring and fall feast and then the fulfillment in Christ and all of those, what's to be fulfilled. And you go to myfaithradio.com and then in the podcast uh, for the Afternoons with Bill show, you'll see the interview that I'm doing with Jeff now, Jeff Verdorn, and in that will be this link to this chart so you can have it and study it and look at it and maybe have discussions with your other friends about it. So that's available only at MyFaithRadio.com. If you listen to the podcast on Spotify or on Apple, it won't be embedded in that podcast, but everything else. We'll be right back. Show with Bill Arno. 
What you might not have learned in Sunday school, you're going to learn today. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're talking about Feast of Israel with New Testament fulfillment. And so far, it's been a powerful hour. If you missed any of this, I insist you go to MyFaithRadio.com, check out the podcast, and make sure you hear it from the beginning. Also, the chart that we're discussing today that Jeff has made available is embedded in the podcast tonight. So you can go check it out and print it out for yourself. All right, Jeff, let's uh, continue to talk about uh, things that are going to be fulfilled, to be fulfilled. So just as we saw in history, we had four feasts in the spring and then a break or an interlude, and then the last three feasts in the fall. So too, for the fulfillment, we have Christ in his first coming, fulfilled the first four feasts of Israel, and then we have this interlude. And I believe that interlude is what we call the church age, this age that we are living in right now where the church is present on earth. But we have three more feasts, and I believe they're symbolically going to be fulfilled in future events that God has said is going to, that are going to come uh, on earth. And the first thing that we see, if you recall, is the Feast of Trumpets. Well, do we have a trumpet in prophetically in God's plan for the end of the age? And we sure do. I'm going to read from 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Well, what event is that? That's called the rapture of the church. We get the word rapture from the words that I just read when it says where we are caught up together with him in the clouds. That word caught up in the old Latin translation was the Latin word repturo, and that's just where we get the term rapture. So the rapture is simply the great catching up of the church up into heaven when this trump sounds. And, and, and this is exactly what Jesus told his disciples in John 14. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will surely come back and take you to be where I am also. That's the rapture of the church. 1 Corinthians 15 also describes this event, where starting in verse 51, Paul says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, we will not all die, but we will all be changed. We will all be glorified in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trump will sound and the dead will be raised and we will be changed. We will be glorified. So there's the trumpet. I think it corresponds to the Feast of Trumpets, this last trumpet that Paul is describing, and that is the next event on God's prophetic calendar. The trump will sound, Jesus will come, we will be gathered unto him, and we will appear with him in glory, and there we will be with the Lord. And if you remember 1 Thessalonians 4, the end, therefore encourage one another with these words. This is called our blessed hope in Titus, this day when Jesus is going to call us home. And I know right now, the last couple of years, Christians have been looking at the state of this world 
and just going, this world seems to be just falling apart every which way. But remember, the world truly isn't falling apart. Events are coming together, and the stage is being set for this time that God says is going to come upon the whole earth, starting with the rapture of the church, then a seven-year tribulation. Matthew 24 says it this way, a time of distress that the world has never seen and will never see again. But it culminates in this glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he returns, Revelation 19, on a white horse to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, that's Armageddon, and establish his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. That's when our prayer that we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's the day when his kingdom will come to earth. And we're going to see those two events here in a minute in the last two feasts, all right? But the first thing that happens is this trump, our calling home, the dead in Christ are glorified, and then we who are alive and remain will be glorified and caught up together with him in the clouds, and there we will be with the Lord forever. That's the last trump, the Feast of Trumpets. And so I think the rapture of the church is what will symbolically fulfill the Feast of Trumpets, the future rapture. All right, next. So what is next? The next feast is this Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement, recall, is where the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and atone for the sins of Israel. Well, this takes more time than we have in this show, but I've done it with some of the other end times talks that we've done. Daniel 9 describes this judgment that comes upon Israel. It's called Daniel's 70 sevens of judgment, or 77-year periods of judgment that comes upon Israel. As part of that judgment, 69 of those sevens have been fulfilled, leaving one final seven-year period of judgment on Israel that needs to come upon the world. Well, that is part of this prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. But he's, And then at the end of this final judgment, he says this, No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one comes, there will be these 62 sevens and 70 sevens. But he does what? He puts, he finished transgressions to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. That is what happens at the conclusion of this judgment. I know this is complicated. We don't have time to go into it. But the key point is here that there is a future day in which Israel's sin will be completely atoned for, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for righteousness. So I believe this future day of atonement is the day when Jesus will come back at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Israel will look upon him whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him. And this, Zechariah 12 says, and the remnant of Israel that's left at the end of the tribulation will finally, finally recognize their Messiah, believe upon him, and enter into the millennial kingdom. 
That is the future salvation of the nation of Israel, the salvation that God promised Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12 that said, your descendants after you will possess this land forever. And God does not go back on his promises. So Israel is going to inherit their land. A remnant of Israel, I believe, is going to inherit the land. This is why in Romans 11 it says all Israel is going to be saved one day. This is that day, the day that Jesus returns, and Israel will look upon him, the remnant of Israel, finally believe and enter into the kingdom. That is the future day of atonement. Cool. Wow, that's very cool. That's very cool. But it gets better. Because when, <laughs> when he comes back... Where have I, where have I heard that before? Yeah. <laughs> when he comes back, yeah, he establishes this kingdom. And Jesus himself will rule on this earth from sea to sea. From the, the law will go forth from Zion. He will rule and reign. We will rule and reign with him for the, those, these next thousand years on earth. And Christ himself will be with us in Jerusalem, in a rebuilt temple, by the way, that is built probably right on the Temple Mount where the previous temples were, were, were and, uh, and the whole world will know. The whole earth will be filled with the Lord. And then the world will know that he is the Lord because he will be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. What is that? The Feast of Tabernacles, the final feast on Israel's calendar is this idea of the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacles is is dwelling with, God dwelling with his people. And when Jesus comes to reign on earth from Jerusalem, Zechariah 14 says, and filling the whole earth will be filled with his glory, he will dwell, he will tabernacle with his people. But it's not even the end yet. Because at the end of the thousand years, we have this great white throne judgment where all unbelievers will be judged. That's judgment day. But the righteous will then enter into what God describes is a new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem. For the old nature of things have passed away. He, behold, he is making all things new. Today, heaven and earth are apart. In the future, for eternity, heaven and earth are coming together. And Revelation 21, verse 3, probably one of the most significant passages in all of Scripture says, and then the dwelling of God will be with man, and he will dwell with them. So in the new heaven... And the new earth, the new nature of things, when the curse is fully lifted, there's no more death, no more pain, no more sickness. It's only this new Jerusalem with the streets of gold and the pearly gates. It's all described in Revelation 21 if you want to read it. God himself will dwell with his people. God himself will tabernacle with his people for all of eternity. And that, my friend is our inheritance. And that's where hope lives. Man, I have an eternal hope that, uh, and, and it's, it's a hope that is based on what God has promised. And I believe God, because everything he's told me that was going to happen, that has come true, has come true exactly as he said, 
And so I can trust what he says about the future. That's what my hope is based on. Yeah, and Jeff, how important is it that we as believers understand what God has done, the promises he has made, and the promises that have been fulfilled? I mean, to me, it only strengthens our our hope, it strengthens our testimony, it strengthens our zeal, and it empowers us to to know exactly what the future holds. You know, the study of God's plan for the end of the age is really a study of our hope. You know, there's lots of reasons to study the end time, and to my dismay, the church really, when I first started teaching the end times, there was a lot of interest in the end times. The Left Behind series was out, and there was a lot of people asking about it. Today, uh, you know what? Churches have been avoiding this subject, have been avoiding the study of the end of the age, have been avoiding a study and preaching about the rapture of the church, which is our blessed hope. But we need to study. God says, actually, in the book of Revelation, blessed are those who read and heed the words that are written in this book. It's the only book of the Bible. Now, we're blessed whenever we study God's word. But Revelation has a specific blessing for those who will read and understand and heed the words that are in it. It is our future. And when I teach this in classes, and I ask people, you know, what are your expectations for this class? I often get a question about, well, what do you say to someone who is fearful of the end times? And I say, well, then you don't understand the end times because the end times is all about us going and meeting the Lord and there we will be with the Lord forever. Paul says it in Corinthians this way, the eye has not seen, nor has the ear heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man the wonders God has in store for us, our inheritance is much greater. It's an entire kingdom, an entire new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. It's so much more than just sitting on a cloud playing a harp for all of eternity. And that's kind of a common perception of our eternity. It's so much grander than that. Mm -hmm. Jeff, I remember when I was uh, new in my faith a long time ago, I had a conversation with somebody and his, his dad was Jewish and his mom was Catholic. And he said, well, my dad's going to heaven because he's Jewish. And I thought that, I said, what, why is that the instant entrance into heaven? And he said, because he's Jewish. And I thought, huh, I didn't know how to answer him at the time. You know, I think Romans makes this very clear that both Jew and Gentile alike are under sin, that uh, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that salvation needs to come through faith in Jesus Christ to both Jew and Gentile. So I don't believe anyone gets to heaven by birthright today. In order for you to be saved today, Jew or Gentile alike, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and trust in him for your salvation. Now, like I mentioned There is going to be a remnant of Israel chosen by grace at the end of the tribulation period that will enter into the millennium. God will save the nation of Israel, a remnant at the end. But there is no individual Jew today who has any assurance of salvation, of knowing that they might be included in that group or not. So there is zero assurance to anyone because of birthright today. Mm, Great answer. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're talking about the Feast of Israel with New Testament fulfillment. And if you are looking for hope today, you have come to the right place. 
You can learn uh, more about this chart that Jeff has created. It will be embedded in the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Under the Afternoons with Bill show page, you can find it there. We'll be right back. Jeff Verdorn, we're talking about the Feast of Israel with New Testament fulfillment. Jeff, I'd love to talk a little bit about our glorified bodies. I would imagine none of us in our glorified bodies will need the three-week quick start for pain. That's just <laughs> no diets. Feeling. There's no diets no di- in eternity. I like that, yes. Maybe yeah. for once in my life I'll be tan, too. I've never been tan in my life. I, You know, I... I'm kind of known as the cookie monster in my family. And, and I've, you know, in the back of the book, it says that mac, white chocolate macadamia nut cookies grow on trees in the New Jerusalem. Did you know that? Oh, it's, no, I did not that, know that. No, but that's, that's not yeah, that's new information. Yeah, I didn't think it was. So but let's let's talk about the glorified body because that gives us hope and gives us hope in a way that we can be celebrating right now today. You know, one of the biggest prayer requests. I, I teach a Sunday morning uh, kind of small church at my church, and, and it's a Sunday school. But we do prayer requests at the beginning. And, you know, the physical requests when someone is sick or diagnosed with a sickness or, you know, whatever, are always the most common. And physical illness has just, you know, it's hard to do anything else when you have some kind of physical ailment that you're dealing with. And so there are always immediate prayer requests. And the scripture tells us that our current body, I don't have to tell anybody this, everybody knows this, our current body is wasting away. It is deteriorating. It is going to return from the dust to the dust from which it came. And as I get older, I know this truth more and more and more. But God says that he has a new body in store for us. He says in Romans uh, 6, for example, that we will certainly be united with Jesus in his resurrection, that God will give life to these bodies and we'll have a new glorified body, will be conformed to the likeness of his son. 1 Corinthians 6 says that he will raise us also just as he raised Jesus Christ and we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. He will transform our lowly bodies, Philippians 3 says, so that they will be like his glorified body. This is a promise of our glorification that's given to every single believer in Christ Jesus. God has promised that you will be raised in immortality, 1 Corinthians 15. So what does this glorified body look like? Well, we have some descriptions in 1 Corinthians 15, which is kind of known as the resurrection chapter. But we also have the the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. So he appeared to his disciples and to hundreds of people over that 40-day period that we were talking about earlier. And what can we glean from those appearances? Well, his body was dead and scarred and beaten and bruised and pierced and marred and so on, and he was raised completely healed. His dead body changed into a glorified, perfect body. And 
lest we think that it was like a spiritual appearing as opposed to a physical, tangible body, he was touched. Mary grabbed on to him and latched on to him. Thomas in John 20 says, well, I'm not going to believe until I see him and touch him. And sure enough, Thomas sees him and touches him. And he's a, so he's a physical, the glorified body is a physical body. He spoke to people. He met with people. He ate. Oh, that's good news. We're going to be able to eat for all of eternity in our glorified body. In Luke 24, he says his glorified body had flesh and bone. He appeared to the two men on the road to Emmaus, and yet he appeared in a locked room somehow, which tells me that his glorified body wasn't restricted by the same laws of physics that our earthly body is constrained by. And we see that also in this event where he rose up to heaven, which we talked about earlier in Acts chapter 1. In his glorified body, he rose up to heaven. You know, you can't do that in a physical body, in an earthly body, but he did this in his glorified body. And by the way, on the men on the road to uh, Emmaus with the two men, it says he disappeared from their sight. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the glorified body that we are going to receive. We will appear with him in glory, and uh, um, that's our our eternal dwelling, our eternal body, this glorified body. Mm-hmm. So the glorified body, it seems, uh, receives food. Because Jesus was glorified, yet he ate with uh, people. So that is interesting, for sure. When he was on earth, he was 100% human, 100% divine. Will there be any physical uh, to him in heaven, or is it all glorified body in heaven? Well, I, I think I understand your question. All, Jesus will be glorified for all of eternity. His This right. body that he's inherited is will be his state for all of eternity. And once we are glorified at the rapture, at that feast of trumpets, symbolically at the rapture of the church when that trump sounds, and the dead are raised, those so if you've died and are in Christ, you'll be raised, you'll receive your glorified body, and then we who are alive and left on that day on earth will be glorified. And so we will receive our glorified body, and that's how we will be forever. Remember, Paul and Peter actually described this earthly body as a tent, a temporary dwelling. You don't, you are not, what makes you you is not your physical body. It's what's inside you that makes you you. It's your soul and your spirit, that immaterial part of you. That is what will be clothed in glory. And that physical glorified body will be our, our, our state for the rest of eternity. And one of the first activities we have is the, the feast in heaven, the wedding. It is. I believe that that marriage supper of the Lamb, that feast, is one of the first things that occurs in this new kingdom. And Mm -hmm. uh, there's a grand marriage feast that we have. And actually, I think it's Isaiah says, with the finest meats and the the choicest meats and the finest wines. And so, yes, we will feast in the new uh, millennium kingdom in our glorified body. I think that's so cool. I think it's really cool. Jeff, this has been a really fascinating study. I know a lot of listeners have have loved this teaching, as have I, and the chart you've constructed is really, really useful. I, I'm a little bit of a visual learner, so this really helps me 
to see it in print. And you've been nice enough to uh, lay this out and make it available for anyone who'd like to receive this chart. Just to let you know, it will be embedded in the podcast tonight at MyFaithRadio.com. If you listen on Spotify or Apple or some of the other platforms to the podcast, it won't be embedded there, but it will be embedded in the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. So that's where you're going to want to go. Go to the Afternoon with Bill show page and you will find this interview with Jeff Verdorn there. And embedded in that will be this chart. And if you want to print that off, you can share it. I'm sure you can download it electronically and send it to your friends. And maybe you also want to send a copy of this message to someone that you're having a study with, or you want to have them hear this teaching as well by Jeff. So it's been a wonderful hour. And like I said, right in the beginning, you're going to walk away having hope. And I know my hope has been renewed and you don't need to fear. We have hope. And Jeff, thank you so much for sharing this with us today. Always a pleasure, Bill. Yeah, no kidding. Jeff Redorn's been my guest. That's the time we have for today. I've loved this time with you. I hope you have felt that hope today. And if you have made a first-time decision for Jesus because of your conversation that we had with Alex, that uh, what joy and rejoicing is going on in, in, in the heavenly realms tonight. Thank you for uh, being with me. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.